You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, brought to you in association with Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs. Getting noticed isn't always easy, because there's so much noise! But at Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, we make it easy. With standout signs, business cards, shop fronts, banners, leaflets, vehicle graphics, the lot. Showcasing your products, advertising your brand, and getting business noticed. So, what can we do for you? Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club, the football club that uh, can be powder puff at times, in the words of a certain technical director, that is. I am Laurie Dunsire. We'll be here to dissect uh, how Powder Puff Hearts may have been at the weekend, alongside a returning guest who's getting a bit more regular than even myself or Mark these days. Delighted to have Scott McIntosh back. Thanks for having me on, Laurie. Thanks for joining us again, Scott. We appreciate it. I really enjoyed your analysis of uh, the European Games recently. Very measured. And I think uh, I said on Twitter that, yes, I think after the, the Pauk game, um, it, you know, you're, you kept it very reasoned after a defeat, which is sometimes difficult in the um, immediate aftermath. Uh, maybe feeling a little bit more disgruntled, possibly, after the next defeat? Yeah, I... I'm, I'm going to sort of put a, a, an apology out to a guy I actually bumped into after the game on Sunday. So it was an old school friend of mine, Ian, uh, who was standing behind me just as we were walking down the steps. And uh, he probably watched how I was booing the team off at the end of the game and thought, you've really not grown in all the time that I've known you. He probably <laughs> thought, God, this is the sort of thing I saw you doing when you were 18, 19. So yeah, I, I definitely took Sunday's defeat quite hard, which we'll, we'll hopefully talk about and I'll hopefully be able to di- dissect maybe the, the psyche of the fans uh, alongside the performance. I should say Mark Donaldson is covering tennis at the moment, so is unable to make it. Um, so uh, shout out to Mark when he listens back to this. Uh, shout out as well to the the guy that um, shook my hand when we were stopping at the services on the way to Dens Park and said he enjoys the podcast very much. Sorry, didn't catch his name. Um, but he said it's very enjoyable after games. And um, yeah, I did say, well, some weeks enjoyable. I imagine some weeks maybe less enjoyable. This is probably going to be one of those weeks where at most we hope it's maybe cathartic and maybe not enjoyable. Uh, But thank you very much for the kind words. Um, Hopefully in a safe journey back from Dens Park. I already know you wouldn't have enjoyed the game, so I won't even mention that. Uh, Yeah, so this week we're going to talk about Dundee against Heart of Midlothian. Scott and I will have a a little look at the game and dissect what went wrong and maybe look at bigger picture related to that. And we will look ahead briefly to uh, the Powick game 
coming on Thursday night. I know Scott and Mark have already previewed it a little bit, so we won't do anything too in-depth, but it is just a couple of nights away by the time you're listening uh, to this, so um, certainly something we've got to look ahead to as well. You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Um, so, before we delve into team news and the, the game itself, I thought I'd start with an email because it covers a lot of our points, not necessarily all of our views, but it'll probably cover a lot of fan views. And if someone goes to the time, as I've mentioned before, of writing us an email, I like to get to it. Um, so let's start with this. This is from Matthew Kindria, and he says, Hi, guys. I hope your eyes have recovered after having to endure that absolute nonsense of a performance yesterday. Without wanting to go over the top, I'm quite concerned about where we're heading this season. There are red flags popping up all over the place. Firstly, the slow starts to games. This has happened in nearly every match this season. For large chunks of the games, we have witnessed exactly the same ponderous uh, shite from the team that we did last season, and which resulted in Robbie quite rightly getting his jotters. Side-to-side passes, no intensity, no willingness to break the lines. A far cry from the attacking football we were promised should Stephen Naismith be given the job. I'll come to this point in a minute. Secondly, the midfield. This is possibly the biggest concern I have right now. In the last two matches, we have played a left-back, Cochrane, a centre-back, Sibic in midfield, and former being played in a huge European match alongside a young, inexperienced player in Denham or beside Kami. For all the excellent work rate he has, he cannot control a game in the middle of the park. This follows the management's inexplicable decision to play Benny after 18 months out injured against Rosenborg. I'm sorry, but this is a ridiculous situation for a club like Hearts to be in. It is clear Halliday and Grant are no longer in favour. Haring is fine, but slow and injury prone. And Neuenhoff is injured, so we have no real idea as to what he can offer. We simply do not have a ball-playing midfielder at the club who can control the ball, link the defence to the attack and break the lines. This is resulting in the likes of Rose or Kent passing between each other or to the full-backs, only for the ball to go back to front down the line. Far too much pressure is being put on the likes of Boyce or Shanklin to do something in a game. It shouldn't be this way. Put simply, we are an easy team to play against. I think it's absolutely cru- crucial the club make every effort to sign a player of this ilk in the next few days. Failure to do so will be akin to what happened last season when the club failed to sign a dominant centre-half. Fortunately, they finally addressed the issue in signing Kent, who by all accounts has looked a shrewd signing. This is my view. This, in my view, is the main reason behind losing third place. We could not defend crosses. Thirdly, the management setup. This for a club of our size is a ludicrous situation to have willingly put ourselves in. It looks very unprofessional, messy, and ultimately a bit tin pot. My understanding of the debacle was that after we went out of Europe, which seems very likely this week, was that we'd be uh, see a reversal of the roles in regards to Nasey and McAvoy, and Nasey would be okay to be the head coach domestically. However, after reviewing the situation, I'm not convinced anything will change, even if we are to get put out by Park. Um, he does go into some of the potential fines that UEFA get and what will be the situation in terms of post getting out of Europe and would Naismith be made head coach. Um, I'm not going to go into that just now because there's a couple of other things we want to go into. Um, he he does say maybe he's been over the top, um, but I've seen enough this season to be rightly concerned. What are both your thoughts? Thank you, Matthew. So, uh, Scott, you know, it's kind of three things he's broken us down into. The first thing, slow start to games. And it's... It, I think it's hard to disagree with that. We'll break Dundee down a little bit more in particular, but um, I think one thing about that game and one thing we've seen a lot of times, it feels like a very similar story, doesn't it? What we saw on Sunday and what we've seen in other games like that. 
It does, and this is one of the more sort of inexplicable sort of aspects of what's been going on uh, since the start of the season. You know, Stephen Naismith has has been at the club in terms of in a player and coaching capacity now for five and a half years. So similar to Robbie Nielsen, when I, I, I talked about not being able to use ignorance as an excuse when it comes to knowing or not knowing what's expectant of a Hearts crowd, Stephen Naismith, you know, is in the same boat now. You know, he's 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 been at the club long enough to know what sort of style of play and what sort of philosophy gets the fans off their feet, gets the fans sort of on board and engaged with the game. And unfortunately, both at home and away domestically so far, we have not been able to hit those heights that we did in the last six or seven games last season. I think, again, I've, I've mentioned this on the European episodes, the European games need to be viewed in isolation. There's there's little that you can transfer from a European performance and result and transfer over into domestic form. So I think yeah. as much as we've maybe started games slightly better uh, in, in Europe, domestically, again, it looks very sort of passive and we seem unable to, you know, hit the ground running, so to speak, in these matches, which undoubtedly, and, and, and I think reasonably so, is concerning the vast majority of fans. A second point in terms of the midfield. Now, this is an area where I, I, I actually understand the concern, and it, it concerns me a little as well in terms of um, we played Cochrane against uh, Park in the home game. I, I listened, I was kind of in between both you and um, you and Mark on this decision. I think you were you were kind of fine with it. Mark was very felt very strongly that it was maybe why did they make that call? Was it a poor call? Cochrane maybe wasn't the right man in there. One thing I didn't understand was what Mark and I agree with Mark on this when he said we had a game against Partick Thistle <clears throat> previous to that, and we played Cochrane at left back, and we played Toby Civic in midfield. And I felt you know if we we're going to move someone around into a new role, we had ninety minutes to potentially try it out there. But I get the point here from Matthew in terms of, so we're now playing, you know, we're seeing a left-back, a centre-back, a youngster who, you know, by all accounts, he looks very promising. There's been some signs there, but he's 19. You know, he's going to make mistakes. We'll get to that about the, the Dundee game. Newenhoff not ready. Is it? Is there some? Is there some kind of extenuating circumstances here in terms of Benny? We tried to put him in. We obviously thought he was ready. He clearly wasn't. Haring is injured again. Uh, Newenhoff is now unavailable. Are there some some things here that are out with the club's control that's just really bad luck? P potentially, I, I think the midfield issue is becoming more and more nuanced the more you look at it and with each passing game. So initially at the start of the season, I viewed the midfield problem as being central to the midfielders themselves and not getting the balance right. It then started to look as if, well, is the issue the fact that a lot of these players have played in a 3-4-3 system for two seasons and potentially there's defensive and defensive skill sets that they're now being asked to display that maybe aren't comfortable with their game. So, for example, the goals that we lost away to Rosenberg where teams were sort of hitting us in that sort of uh, hole in between the full-back and the centre-back where Benny's had to sort of try and recover because we've now got full-backs who are now turning into inverted full-backs and playing in the centre of the field. So it then became an issue of, is it a system issue? It's now, for me, starting to look more than just a problem with the central midfield pairing and now 
alongside an issue with the centre-halves not wanting to take responsibility on the ball. So again, were we potentially spoilt for choice when we had the likes of Suter and Kingsley and even to a smaller degree Halkett, all capable and confident of bringing the ball out from the back and sort of enticing players to come out from their comfort zones in the opposition. Because we don't have that in either Rose or Kent, I think there's now became a, a sort of passing the buck mentality onto the central midfielders. And unfortunately, because Benny's injured, because Haran's injured, the two men who are probably most capable of recycling possession and, and playing any form of penetrating passing from midfield are both not available to us. So there's a lot to try and unpack just now in terms of the midfield issue. Uh, I think also, on, on top of that, Myself and a lot of people have maybe been crying out for the club to maybe look at bringing in a, a playmaker or someone a little bit different. But let's be honest, we had that last season. That's what Robert Snodgrass was. And what happened there, all the responsibility was put on his shoulders, if not Barry Mackay's. And and I think there is a an issue just now where you saw players on Sunday hiding and it's because for too long they've been so accustomed to just playing a four or five yard pass to a match winner like Mackay or a ball player like Snodgrass and just seeing what they can achieve. And there's there's a big problem that needs to be fixed that's quite deep-rooted now within the squad, both at centre midfield and also at centre-half. And I mean, he, he talked about, uh, Matthew, that is talked about, you know, it's essential we bring someone in. You know, Stephen Naismith, after the, the Dundee game, said, you know, we're obviously we're closing in on the deadline. At the time of recording, uh, it's only, what, two days until the deadline. So the time you listen to this, It'd probably be 24 hours at most. He said, if something came up that we felt would improve us, we would potentially do something. Some players might move on if they aren't happy. Uh, so if we lose players, we might need to replace them, but we are not actively pushing to try and improve anything at the moment. Uh, I mean, reading between the lines, you know, it's, it's fairly obvious that George Grant is not favoured. I know he came on and he, he actually did all right, I thought, when he came on. But dropped out of the European squad when he's match fit. Pretty clear he's one of the players the hearts will look to move on but there's no guarantee that they will that that you know he's under contract they need someone to take him on if, and we're not just going to terminate his contract i wouldn't imagine right now and take the hit on on what, what wages are left breathing between the lines it's something hearts aren't committing on about would you be surprised if they did bring someone in even if it meant you know if, if george grant moved to someone on loan or was let go to another team um you know for instance as well if Peter Haring, because we haven't had a real confirmation about it. If it's confirmed Peter Haring's out for a bit longer, um, Benny's not going to be back for a while. Will that maybe force their hand here? Potentially, but I'd be surprised if they brought someone in. If I'm honest, I do think there's a bit of a temporary fix. I think one of the most disappointing aspects of of Sunday from a, a team selection point of view or game management point of view was the fact that they didn't start either Devlin or Boyce. Now, I know that they're maybe trying to nurse Boyce back into the game, but they had to bring him on for 45 minutes anyway. I'd be more inclined to start him, give him 50 to 60 minutes, and hopefully yeah. we're in the ascendancy, maybe even a goal or two up. Because just now, with the problems that we've got in terms of this sort of double pivot in, in the midfield, we either need to start Devlin so that there's at least a high press in the final third and we can do something offensively off the back of him intercepting the, the ball, or 
we play Boyce off of Shankland and we occasionally maybe go a little bit more direct. Or as Boyce has shown in previous domestic games, he's very adept at making runs across the back four that gets defenders thinking at least and offers an option for the likes of Alex Lowry. You know, you could see him almost spark into a game in the second half and I don't think that was just due to him being uh, thrown out wide left. I think the introduction of Boyce and the runs that he was making was also helping engage with Shanklin and Lowry. So I think short term, they're going to have to find a way and this should become less of an issue because there is a good chance that we will get knocked out on Thursday. So you're going to have, you know, not that issue about, you know, playing two games a week with Boyce and Devlin. They're going to have to find a way of getting them involved more often. His third point's kind of about the management. And I've not gone, he, he did go into some questions about the potential fines per game, um, exactly what's required in terms of the license before someone could be appointed. I, I didn't want to go into that too much because we did quite a bit of it previously. Um, and it's not 100% certain. Uh, I'm not 100% certain on it just now. I know when someone is committed on to doing their pro license course, I believe they can be put in a head coach role if they're working towards it. And I think, obviously, Hearts are hopeful that start the new year, Naismith can be put on that. Whether they'd have to wait until then or not to actually put him into the head coach position, I'm not entirely sure. We kind of looked into this a little bit pre-season and it wasn't absolutely clear. Um, in terms of the management, I've made my kind of thoughts on it recently kind of a bit clearer in terms of I'm not 100% sure if the management team will be successful, but I feel the structure of it is not going to be the, you know, if it doesn't work, it's not because the roles are unclear for the players, etc. And I know we've all had the optics buzzword out there, but I think it is mainly optics. It's mainly how it looks, how it's set out. Um, I don't know how you feel about it, Scott. That's my view. I'm not... I, I, there needs more time before I'd be convinced if yes it's the right team to take us forward I think there's been some good signs there's been some bad signs my view isn't that you know who's got what title is the reason for there being problems I don't know if you agree or disagree with that no I agree 100% with that I think that some of the some of the hysteria that I've sort of read and heard over the last few weeks I think a lot of it is the result of fans not being able to switch off from the the sort of baiting and the sort of banter that you're getting from opposition fans and, and some pundits, unfortunately. Me and Mark had a quick chat about this sort of last Thursday off yeah. the back of the, the pout game and, you know, Mark was asking me for my opinion and I thought, well, you know, I think, you know, if, if Hibs were doing this, I'd be winding up Hibs fans. Yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely. part and parcel. Where I'm disappointed is when seasoned pundits and professionals and ex-pros are engaging in it and thinking that there's some sort of smoking mirrors going on. I think that's where it gets a little bit disappointing, but I don't think there's anything to worry about in terms of the structure. I would agree with you entirely on that. I think we've got to focus more on, you know, how things aren't quite transpiring on the field in, in a way in which we and hopefully the management team uh, are, are, are sort of hoping for just now. But but yeah, like you say, that sort of buzzwordy optics is probably the the worst that it is just now. Uh, I don't think there's an, a, an actual behind-the-scenes problem or issue with it. I mean, I mentioned, obviously, it's just on the actual uh, you know management um, team themselves and Naismith. You know, Naismith in particular after the game was very critical um, of... 
of the team. He said, I wouldn't say it's fine margins. We weren't good enough today. It's simple as that. Didn't deserve much of the game. Fortunate to be nil-nil at half-time. Um, and he goes on, and he, and he, as I kind of jokingly said at the start, he calls him Powder Puff. He referred to his own team as that. So he was very critical of them. In the, in the game, you, know, you could see he wasn't happy, and he was trying to get the team. You know, he was screaming at the team, trying to get him to play it forward. Um, he wasn't happy with the tempo. And I saw this with Robbie quite a lot as well. And I know lots of people criticised Robbie Nielsen, a lot of it rightly so. You know, we dissected a lot in the podcast about the, the tempo and the way we were playing. But there were a lot of games, and I, I didn't watch him for all of every game, but a lot of games, depending on where I was placed, where I could watch him. And he was often fuming at the team, trying to get him to up the tempo, play it forward quicker. And I saw a bit of that with Naismith, although I'll be at the other side of the pitch. So again, you know, I wasn't watching him for every minute of the game, but there were certain points where you could see him really unhappy, urging them forward, trying to get him to up the tempo. Um, it, is it one of these things where sometimes we get caught up in the tactical approach from Hearts and how much of this often comes down to players? And maybe that's, you know, obviously that's still the management team picking players, but... Sometimes I don't know if they think there's this conscious effort from the person on the touchline to go like, right, keep the ball, play passes sideways, play them side to side, hold on to it, where that's not often necessarily the case. So this is maybe where I, I sometimes sort of differ from most fans. I think what you're saying is right, and I, and I do recall that conversation around uh, Robbie Nielsen when he left the club as well, where I, I think people were talking about watching them in training and how intent Robbie was and sort of making sure that the, they had a forward-thinking mindset and he wanted them to press, he wanted them to harry. Now, my my perception of that and my interpretation of that, and similar to Naismith on Sunday when he's shouting and balling and, and not happy with how they're approaching the game is, well, that worries me because if they are wanting something completely different to what we're seeing, yeah. is that a potential sign that that voice or that message is getting lost somewhere, either in translation to the players or potentially some players just don't buy into it. So this is where you start to have to have conversations around the squad alongside the manager because naturally the managers have to take ownership of everything. They're the head coaches or in this case the technical director and therefore they will get the, the brunt of the ire from the fans off the back of a, a negative performance or result. But we're now seeing similar trends and patterns emerging from the similar group of players to what we saw under Robbie Nielsen. So do we now have to start questioning the the mentality or the ability of some of those players who have played under both managers? So that's maybe something that, it's maybe too early to make that judgment yet, but Absolutely, it's something yeah. that we're potentially going to have a better idea of after the first round of fixtures. Is there sometimes, I, I just, you know, I'm kind of, a lot of this, I'm just thrown off, you know, throwing this out there on um, top of my head. People would never guess that happens on this podcast. Um, <laughs> is it sometimes, you know, maybe management even expecting more or too much from from our, our team and our players sometimes? It's one of these, it's, it's not a direct comparison, but I was listening to some, um, some analysis of, of West Ham. Now, the reason I find this quite interesting, I don't watch West Ham all the time, but obviously they had a big dip last season and they, they call this the, the I think they call it the David, the David Moyes upturn and downturn, the cycle it goes through. So West Ham were very good playing a kind of low block as the hipster way, but, you know, basically playing a defensive counter-attacking style. Um, and 
as they tried to progress because they've been doing quite well in the top flight, they started trying to play, well, we're going to have to, you know, we're improving, we're getting better players in, so now we need to try and play with the ball more. And apparently from, and I don't watch them all the time, as I say, but that's where they had the downturn because they, they struggled to implement a kind of possession-based style. It's not David Moy's style. It wasn't really their style. They did add some better players. And the kind of upturn that they're they're seeing again is because he's reverted back to what he knows, which is playing defensive, low-block, counter-attacking football. And you saw them get a big win against Brighton at the weekend. Now, my maybe very loose connection here is, are we sometimes expecting more than what we should of, of certain players? So I don't think we have, I think we have better players than Dundee, even just looking at the two teams, um, looking at the calibre of even the signings we've made and they've made. Um, but we're going into the game trying to play a... A kind of style of football which does still involve having possession but playing quickly playing it forward playing attacking whereas Dundee were very happy we'll get into it, playing counter-attacking football not you know asking certain players to try and play football that they're maybe not comfortable with do we sometimes are we sometimes going into these games thinking right we need to go in and dominate possession control it um, you know pass through the team break the lines as they say when sometimes that's not easy if you're not noticeably better because we, we even see Rangers and Celtic struggle with that sometimes. I think that's a really interesting point, and I think there's been there's been examples of when I've had conversations with some of my friends around certain managers, and the conversation has been around: Are they maybe expecting too much of our squad based on maybe where their experiences have taken them in the past? So if you look at say maybe Neil Lennon at Hibs. And some of the issues that Neil Lennon started having with players towards the end of that reign, he was questioning their mentality or their ability. As a serial winner like Neil Lennon at this level, maybe over-expecting out of players who are maybe at a lower level than the elite level that he played at for some of his career. Roy Keane would be another example when he was managing at clubs like Ipswich and Sunderland, yeah. where some of those man management issues that were brought up with Roy Keane are a result of the fact that his expectation of a certain level of a professional footballer is higher than what you can achieve with the budget of a Sunderland or an Ipswich. And there is potentially a case to be said of that for somebody like Stephen Naismith. And I think the, the inverted fullback. Uh, sort of philosophy that he wants to deploy at the club might be an example of where we're maybe asking too much of some of our players. Now, I wouldn't include Atkinson in that. I think it's actually a, a part of the the game that Atkinson's grown into, and I, and I think yeah. he's shown that he can. He's more than happy to be brave in possession. But if you watch a fire in that first half on Sunday, there looked a player that wasn't positionally sure where he needed to be either in defence or offensive positions and is that potentially the fact that we've brought someone in who's maybe played a little bit at wing back and a bit centre half for Brighton but maybe hasn't been asked to do this sort of inverted fullback role before so I do think there is a, a potential here where we are asking too much of certain individuals and that's one I, I thought you know coming back for the game on Sunday was a fire's first half a result of him as an individual or potentially what we'd asked of him and him being unsure or unclear of those instructions. Yeah, well, I think that takes us nicely on to the game. Uh, just quickly, in terms of the team, Atkinson, Devlin, Cochrane, Boyce, Mackay were all out from this side that got um, got defeated by Pauk in the last game. Uh, in came Ofaya, Denham, Sibic. Oda and Lowry. So Clark and goals, Afaya right, Kingsley left, Kent and Rolls centre-back, Denham Sibic, the sitting two, 
Oda Lowry, um, Vargas, the uh, supporting three, with Shankland up front, obviously. Hearts number nine and captain. Now, um, very quickly in this game, it it kind of felt apparent what kind of game it was going to be, didn't it? I mean, Dundee, as I mentioned, very happy to sit in. Uh, They would have 35% possession, so about a third of the ball throughout the game. But at the same time, it was not, and this is, you know, we we always talk about it now, we analyse it more in modern football, the kind of press and the triggers, etc., their press was actually quite good. I have to say, in the in the first half when it was level, I, I was quite impressed with how Dundee set themselves out. I thought they still lacked a lot of kind of quality, um, and you know they didn't really test us an awful lot. I know they got the goal that was that was disallowed, but in terms of how they set themselves up, I thought they, in terms of how they tactically managed the game, they did it far better than Hearts in this first half. Yeah, I was I was very impressed with Scott Tiffany. I felt that he was making runs that we were wanting to see out of our midfielders. And you're right, I think they in, in terms of when they triggered the press, they were clearly quite comfortable having scouted us and knowing that neither Rose or Kent were entirely comfortable at sort of breaking out from the back. So what they decided to do was give them as much possession as they can and then when the ball was being fed into either Lowry, who was having to come very deep for it, or Sibic or Denham, that's when the press was being triggered and they were doing a a very reasonable job at that. And this goes back to the, the comments I made earlier about either starting with Devlin or Boyce. What we really needed was someone who could offer us that out without us having to go right through the midfield in the centre of the park. And because we didn't have that, we played right into their hands, really. Uh, And, you know, we'll go and maybe discuss this further on in the show regarding the subs that we made, but you could clearly tell after about 15, 20 minutes that this wasn't something that was going to, you know, work itself out or change. You know, the the pattern of play had been set pretty early on and you kind of knew that this is all you were going to be, you know, force-fed for the the first 45 minutes at least. You know, Boyce started warming up quite heavily from about 20 minutes in. So it was quite clear that Naismith had seen enough, even about 20, 25 minutes in, to sort of want to make changes. He's obviously thought that he didn't want to make the change pre-half-time, and maybe that's from a, a sort of player management standpoint. But for me, I think he should have made the change earlier. I think that there would have been there would have been reason, uh, valid reason, to make that change after half an hour. And if that meant sacrificing someone like Sibic and putting Boyce in and having him play off his Shanklin, then that's what they should have done. Yeah, I think what I we didn't have any feed of the game for Hearts TV. We were in the we were up above the south the uncovered terrace area or the covered well partly covered partly uncovered terrace area at Dens Park so not much in the way facility so we didn't have any replays or feed at the time but I was watching some of the game back and um, I noticed one of the um, one of the little analysis stats that, that came up 35 minutes in this came up Hearts at that point had 68% possession only 18% of the game had been played in Dundee's final third so despite having Almost seventy percent of the ball, um, only less than a fifth of the game had actually taken place in the final third for us. In fact, almost thirty percent of the game had taken place in our final third. Obviously, you no surprise that most of it, the play was in the middle of the park. But I think that kind of sums up. You know, a lot of stats are, are 
are often meaningless, need a bit of context. But I think that pretty much summed up. We had plenty of the ball, and Dundee were happy for us to, to have the ball, but we were never really getting close to testing them. Um, and in fact, when we got into the box, I don't know what you thought of this one, um, Oda would go off at half time and could easily, I thought, could have been sent off. Uh, I mean, I thought it was a bit harsh. He got the first yellow. The kind of ref just felt like he needed to dish out yellow cards for both players in that incident. But when he got played into the box, thought he went down very easily. And um, it's one of these where I don't know about you with the VAR. So my, the the rules always state that you know you can't have a VAR review for a second yellow. So because the referee's not given anything, there is no no other repercussions there. I know some of the Dundee players. I think the the coaching staff weren't too happy about this. But what I mentioned in commentary was what can happen, though, if the referee had given the penalty. I don't know if you remember the Rangers game last season. This is the first time I'd seen it happen. Um, Kent, for Rangers, went down, won the penalty. The referee went to see on the screen, noticed it was a dive, obviously overturned his own penalty, but then he booked um, he booked Ryan Kent. And that's because he was reviewing his own decision. So because he was correcting it, he was able to do it. So yeah. if if that had been given as a penalty and the referee had been called over to review it, do you think he might have considered then potentially giving Oda a second yellow? I think so. Uh, you know, there was definitely enough to suggest that it was simulation. And the fact that the referee did not give the decision in our favour initially would suggest that he knew that and he's actually bottled out of making that call. Uh, so, yeah, I think we, we definitely got a slice of luck there. Uh, and we we got a slice of luck as well when it when it came to their their offside decision. Albeit the decision itself was right, but you know we'd really been again the makers of our own downfall with the the lead up to that strike. And uh, you know we luckily got a break there as well in the first half. Yeah, it's one of those though. You know Jordan McGee, cup in your cup in your ears to the crowd in the modern day. You can't really over celebrate and milk it, can you? Just because you never know. Um, and I think Shankland, I think, had that in the back of his mind when he scored that second goal against Pauk. Even though the rest of us were all celebrating, I think it was a bit muted and he said he just wanted to double check that it would actually count before going too mad. Um, I, I mean, I, I, on refereeing decisions, I just a, a, a very a very quick side note. I don't know what the reaction was like in the way end, but when there was an offside that Dundee weren't happy with to, towards the end of the first half, um, the Dundee fans were up in arms the players were up in arms saying how can you be taking the offside there because he's you're in our you're in our half and i did quietly mention on commentary because i often get don't get things right you know sometimes i make errors we all do but i was pretty sure and i said the rule is if you come back from an offside position into your own half and then touch the ball there then that's when you're seen as becoming active in terms of play and that's where the decision is from it's one of those though that um even I was speaking to some of the analysis uh, analysts who were there, and wasn't clear to many people. And I think I only know that because I saw it happen once, and I had to double check it to make sure it was right. Is that a rule that seemed to were, were the were the Hearts fans aware of what was going on from the away end? So I would say the majority of us were were rather bemused by the fact that we could see the players taking the free kick from inside their half. Uh, I think the rule that you've just shared with us there. I don't know if it's potentially a, a more recent sort of interpretation of that rule, uh, but the, I think you would seldom find anyone 
who actually uh, knew of that rule prior to just now. Uh, I, I personally was talking to someone behind me and so saying, well, I can understand why the Dundee fans are getting annoyed because he's we're kind of taking yeah. the free kick in their half and clearly that couldn't have been where the, the player was initially offside from. So, so yeah, uh, definitely every, every day is a school day here because uh, I definitely didn't know that one. Yeah, and I should say, like, uh, it's not because I check all these changes and updates every time. It was because there was another game, and I can't remember what it was, that I, I saw this happen and I had to go and double-check it afterwards. But yeah, it says... The rules are, if an offside offence occurs, the referee awards an indirect free kick where the offence occurred, including if it is in the player's own half of the field of play. Um, so um, someone will probably say I'm just being smug about actually getting something right for a change um, <laughs> until the next time I get something wrong. But there you go. So half time, nil nil. Hepburn and McDonald have been making creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. For more, visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. Right, second half. Now, we're struggling for positives in this game, we will be, but one thing I really liked here um, is the uh, how quickly we made th these changes and the fact that we made three. Now, so often we, I've seen hearts poor first half, you know, maybe they're behind or it's level, and we do the old cliched, give it 10 to 15 minutes, you know, try and get a reaction, you know, you know, give the players that bollocking at halftime, try and change, just tweak something in the tactics, try and see how things go. Evidently, usually what happens is you give them the 10-15 minutes and it's not improved, so then you start making changes. I did like um, how proactive I would say we were here because one, we make the three changes Atkinson, Devlin, Boyce come on, Ophaya, Civic go off, but not only do we make the changes we actually did get a reaction Yeah, no definitely uh, all three changes were positive uh, the players that came off, I think there was valid reasons for all three uh, sort of exclusions as well and like I alluded to earlier on in the show, you know, it, it definitely sparked something in Shanklin and Lowry having Boyce on there and it was Similar to what we've seen between Mackay and Boyce in terms of those neat little interchanges and the fact that, you know, having someone of Boyce's intelligence in the team can really spark something out of the rest of the squad. Even if he's maybe not contributing from a goal-scoring point of view, he brings so much to the overall offensive style of the team. So it was a really good triple substitution. You're spot on. It's really refreshing to see that from a management team. And for the next 15 or 20 minutes, the first 15 minutes, especially in that second half, we were certainly the team in the ascendancy. Uh, you know, Vargas had a couple of really good opportunities at the back post uh, in terms of maybe not anticipating uh, the cross in the, in the first instance. And then the second one with the header where he, he just didn't get enough purchase on it. But we were really, you know, threatening them at that stage. And at that point, I felt as if it was only really a matter of time before we would get that first goal. Yeah, I think yeah, Boyce and, and Lowry were lively. You mentioned Vargas had some chances. Lowry set one up that he, he headed towards goal. Didn't get good contact, though, and it was kind of cleared off the line. Kingsley had a free kick that forced a decent save um, from Trevor Carson. It's still desperate looking for another goal. I know he's a defender, but he, he started so well in front of goal for Hearts. But was seven appearances this season without a goal, 31 appearances last season without a goal. But prior to that, our first season back in the Premiership, he had seven goals. In that campaign, now forty-two appearances without them. But um, it was his last one. 
the semi-final goal his last goal for us yeah yeah because he got back to back he got back to back goals against Hibs he got the in the semi and in the league game and those are the last two that he's got so hasn't quite found his way back to goal albeit I think he started this season pretty well after maybe losing form a bit end of last campaign but the big change, the big turning point is the goal because that's a kind of in isolation. It's the start of the second half where Hearts did have a decent spell, but the kicker comes when Hearts are in their you know best kind of best spell of the half, and it's a, it's a difficult one to take because there's a few people going to be culpable at this one. Xander Clark goes out to take a short free kick right by the touchline, and. Um, Plays it to Kai Rolls, who very quickly gives it to Aidan Denham, who's been very quickly closed down. He miscontrols it. He's kind of looking over his shoulders at the Dundee players closing him down. And it gets given away, and Luke McCown picks up. And credit where it's due, it is a wonderful finish. I expected him to try and slip in Tiffany, who was making the run, to maybe get a one-on-one chance. But I think, you know, quickness of thought to, to get up see that Xander Clark was still kind of put back pedaling and then to execute it so well because Xander Clark does get fingertips on it it is a wonderful finish but um, we were really masters of our own downfall with this goal yeah uh, I, I still don't know where to start with I mean I've seen it's good because I think there has been uh, a difference of opinion among some of the fans it's kind of a, appeared over the last 24 hours since people have sort of uh, kind of almost forced themselves to watch the highlights back and I've noticed today that one or two people have commented on the fact that Clark's out there because what they're trying to do is get a quick free kick get rivals on the ball so that that maybe pulls Dundee out of position and it can give us a quick start I don't really understand that that take on it because Rowles is never going to be a centre half that's going to take that ownership of the ball for any lengthy time it was always going to be a case where Rolls, as soon as he saw a centre mid there, was going to play the ball at the feet or play it sideways to Kent. So for me, that take doesn't really hold much weight. Uh, so for me, Clark being 40 yards out for his goal, taking a short free kick, that's your first basic error. I think Rolls needs to either play it down the line or he needs to just play a safe ball across uh, the back four to Kent which is something that he'd been doing the whole game anyway, so I don't know why he's decided all of a sudden to play a sort of hospital pass into Denham when he's got two or three players breathing down his neck. And then you've got Denham having a, a, a shocking first touch on the ball, which allows Dundee to sort of nip in and for McEwen, like you say, you know, have that great strike on goal. So you're really talking about three players who are all probably equally culpable. Uh, for different reasons, you know, for Clark, it's maybe a bit of a a sort of psychological thing where it's like it's decision-making. Uh, we Rowles, again, probably decision-making. And then we Denham, it's maybe more from a technical standpoint that he feels. Yeah, it was interesting. Shanklin was doing some interviews after and some of the ones quoted in the evening news. He said, naivety is the word that sums up. We give away a cheap goal and that throws away the points. At the start of the second half, the momentum was totally with us. We created a couple of openings and looked like the team more likely to score. Then we give them that goal out of nothing. We've discussed it plenty of times before. It's just pure naivety. Obviously, young Aidan Denham makes a mistake, but there are three senior pros around him who could have told him just to go long. It's so frustrating. I said exactly these things in the dressing room, that it's just daft. There were experienced boys who can't be making mistakes like these. We all know when we're playing well and when we're not when to try things and when not to. 
at the goal, Clark as well at his goals, and we tried to a couple of passes. Next thing, they've basically got an open goal, which I think I think uh, Lawrence has been a little harsh on Luke McCowan there. Um, a little tougher than open goal, but I, I get the sentiment. Um, if we've gone up to Dundee, not played well, but come away with a point, we'd be saying that's fair enough. We need to be a team who knows that if we don't play well, we still don't lose. Too many times last season, and again now, especially on the road, when we don't play well, we lose. Um, so, you know, pretty harsh words. I you know, quite like that from, from Lawrence Shanklin. Doesn't mix his words too much, much, obviously, standing captain just now. There wasn't really any sign of hearts getting back into this, unfortunately. Um, Robinson had a header saved by Clark for Dundee. That was probably the closest we got to another goal. 92nd minute, there was a bit of a stramash in the Dundee box and Hearts had a few swipes at it, but no real conviction that they were going to be able to get the ball in the back of the net. Um, one thing with this, it always strikes me in, in games like this, and I think when I think back to when we started to struggle to get through teams under Robbie Nielsen the season we finished third, Ellis Sims arrived and it really changed things for us because it gave us a bit more of an option in attack, a different option, you know, someone physical. You know, it wasn't a target man as such, Ellis Sims, but he was strong and you could try and hit him with more direct balls. In games like Sunday, you know, no, Lawrence Shanklin was just completely isolated out there. And when a team plays deep like that against us, do we do we struggle to kind of offer something else in terms of and I'm not suggesting that suddenly hearts revert to a long ball trying to go with the flick-ons. You know, it worked with Sandy Clark and John Orbison up front, but it's a different era. But sometimes it's useful to at least have an option to mix it up because Xander um, Lawrence Shanklin is very good holding the ball in, but you play balls over the top. He doesn't really have the pace off the shoulder and he's he's all right in the air. But if you've got big centre-backs like Dundee had against him, he kind of gets completely isolated. And Do we sometimes not have enough of a, a sort of plan B or a plan C in games like these? Potentially, I, I think the most frustrating aspect of what happened immediately after the, the, the loss of the goal was that I felt that both the the team and the management team sort of started doing things that went against what they'd been doing well for the first 15-20 minutes. So the management team had identified that there was an issue in the first half. They made the triple change. That triple change was getting the best out of the 11 players on the park. Now, I understand that you lose a goal and sometimes you can be a little bit knee-jerk to that react, uh, to that happening, but we still had 25 minutes left on the clock. I would have waited to see what that team was going to do for the next 10-15 minutes before making any further changes. And I felt that it was kind of almost like just a bit of a, a gesture to say, right, we're throwing everything at it. And they brought Grant and, and Tagawa on. Tagawa for Vargas was a strange sub because although Vargas, not everything was coming off for him, he was appearing at the back post, he was making the right type of runs and he was given a good option out there. Whereas when Tagawa came on, he didn't look overly comfortable in that area. When he was receiving the ball, it was just a safe ball backwards. So it, it, it really didn't work at all. Grant was making similar runs to Boyce across the sort of back four. So again, we were almost sort of overloading an area of the park where we needed to try and find a bit more space. I would have liked to have seen us just keep doing what we had been doing. And yet Dundee had scored, so there was a chance that they were going to sit in more and try and frustrate us. But I just felt like we kind of just, you know, 
walked into that, you know, they opened the door, we walked right through, and we decided to sort of overload the uh, the back line with more offensive substitutions, when in fact, we were making the right decisions in those first 15-20 minutes of the second half, albeit it was just that final touch that we were missing. So that was the that was a real sort of disappointing aspect uh, for, for me from both the team and the management team. You know, they just stopped doing what had been working for us and started to panic and make the wrong decisions. We always like to try and get a, a reasonably balanced approach to to results and to, to games on this podcast. And, you know, Hearts, Hearts will lose will lose games, you know, and they're going to have disappointing performances and results. And this will always be the case. Uh, you know, I don't think there's ever going to be a, a time when they're at the point where a, a result like that is very rare. There'll always be a few of those. And you know, it's it's in a division where we are, we do have more resources than most of the teams in there, but not to the extent where we can dominate home and away week in, week out. Um, but where does this kind of rank for you, Scott? Is this one of those where it's, well, you know, win some, you lose some, we see hearts play poorly and, and get these poor results every now and again, but we can't we can't lose our minds too much yet. Or, or is there more to this? Is this something we should be concerned about? Because yeah, the game itself was terrible. You know, hearts were poor. There was one spell in the game and Stephen Naismith himself said it wasn't good enough. We played well for a 15-20 minute spell. Apart from that, you know, Dundee had our number, I felt like. And although they weren't great, they were better than us. And I think, you know, tactically they got the game right, a nice goal, and when they got ahead they didn't really look like they were going to lose that lead. So is this one that we just have to write off or is, does this go deeper? I think there's there's two ways that you could look at this. So I, I think I was as reactionary to the the result as, as any fan was on the Sunday evening and even yesterday. Put a couple of posts up where I was, you know, talking about red flags and patterns of play and things that had been concerning me over the last few weeks. Now, in isolation... Is that harsh on Stephen Naismith, who's been in the job permanently a matter of months? Of course it is. But the thing that clubs and management teams need to understand and try and, and sort of acknowledge is that when you take over a, a ship that's maybe been rudderless or maybe not been performing to its best, you have to take ownership, not just for what happens going forward, but you need to take ownership on how you fix previous ills. And one of the biggest sort of uh, sort of ills that Hearts have experienced over the last 25 to 30 years has been our away form and our form against you know teams with lower budgets in general. So when I'd been quite reactive to the result, I was like, oh, I'm probably being quite harsh on Naismith, but how can I try and find stats that could maybe try and offer a bit of rationale as to why there was maybe so much anger uh, and, and, and sort of toxicity amongst the, the support on Sunday afternoon. So what I'd done was I sort of took some numbers in terms of our win percentages against all the teams that we're currently in the top league with, and then I sort of compared it decade to decade to see if there'd been any sort of upward trends or any sort of downward trajectory against certain uh, teams. So you look at teams like Aberdeen and Hibs, who are always viewed as our sort of closest rivals, and our actual win percentages actually favour pretty well to them, decade on decade. So with Aberdeen, they were really strong in the 80s. We only beat them sort of once in every four competitive matches. We then moved into the 90s. It went up 10%. 
then went up another 20% the following decade. And although it's came down since then, it's still uh, a reasonable sort of 40 to 45%, which is fine. You're getting close to winning one every other match. And they're on a similar budget. Same with Hibs. We've went for 42%, 1% in the 80s, went up to 49 down to 37, then it's back up to 44, and it's at 55% for this decade up to this point anyway. So again, we Hibs were, were punching, maybe either at our weight or just slightly above it. So again, nothing to worry about there. The concern, or the sort of red flag, is the downward trajectory that our win percentages are against other teams. So Kilmarnock, for example, you know, we've seen a 7% drop between our win percentage against them in the 90s and what we've hit in the last 10 years, Livingston, 6% drop. Motherwell, 20% drop in win percentage. We're down to 38% win percentage against them from 58%. Uh, St Johnston went down 7% as well. The only two teams where there's been an upward trajectory uh, between the sort of 80s and 90s and now have been St Mirren, where it's went up 6%, and Dundee, where it's went up over 10%. You then look at Ross County, and although there's no real sort of uh, extensive data to pull from the 90s and the 2000s, over the last 10 years, we have a win percentage of 39% against them, which is actually the same as Aberdeen and Ward and Hibs. So what questions can you pull out of that? I get that you've got to use your own eyes as well. You can't always just rely and fall back on stats, but those stats to me are, are quite damning because... You'll hear from quite a lot of supporters when there's a bit of back and forth about expectations and where we should be and what we should expect the club to achieve. Should we be expecting us to get a better win percentage against the likes of Ross County, Kilmarnock, Motherwell and St Mirren and St Johnston than what we have against Aberdeen and Hibs over the last 10 years? And what does that tell you about the tactical mouse that we show in these games and more importantly, the mentality of our squads during the last few years. So that's why I wanted to do that bit of a deep dive because sometimes it can be easy to just, you know, shout and scream at, a, at an isolated performance. But I do think the reason why fans got so annoyed on Sunday was because we'd been told that things would be different under this regime. There wouldn't be those passive sort of displays that we'd seen so often under Robbie's team, specifically last season where we won three games away from home domestically. And to see that performance and that similar sort of style of play from the back and again, very passive, very slow, very one-paced, I think that's what sparked that outrage in the stands and amongst myself, more so than anyone else. So it was it was important to see if there was maybe some historical reason as to why we're, we're acting that way, when really in hindsight, we should be given this current management team more of an opportunity to try and fix and remedy those problems. No, I think it is quite interesting. and it's. I think a lot of it will come down to kind of a little bit what I was touching upon earlier in terms of approaching games where we are the, the team with the bigger resources, but it's not that same gap that the likes of you know, Rangers and Celtic have when they can at times, not always, even they struggle with it, but often, more often than not, they can play the games on their terms because the technical difference between their players is that notable that they can kind of travel away to different teams, um, you know, like Rangers going to Ross County the weekend, and they, they can dictate play. doesn't always work, but it'll work a lot more than it will for the likes of Hearts. 
because the the technical difference, the, the difference in quality is that big at times. The gap, um, the, the Dundee one's funny because I was waiting for you to get to them because we've actually had a pretty decent record against Dundee, also away from home. Unfortunately, it's one of the ones that they hadn't even they hadn't even kept a clean sheet against us in eighteen meetings, ten years since they managed to keep a clean sheet against us. Um, so they were the ones we did better against. But interesting, you highlight Aberdeen and Hibs, and I think a lot of that is often because the teams are fairly evenly matched. We can often get you know results on the break. You know, you see derbies at Easter Road, and you see sometimes the goals. You know, we're not going to go to Easter Road, and well, not most of the time. They're not going to play like Dundee did against us. Fans will go off their head. Same if Hearts did it, did that against Hibs at Tynecastle. Um, unless you're down to ten men and you've got. 70 minutes or whatever to, to play like we did at the end of the season so I think that's sometimes where the problem is as well isn't it and I think Hibs often have that issue as well Yeah. how do we how do we go and play against teams that we are seen as superior against but the, the, the difference in quality is not that much that it's that it can't be nullified by them just playing a little bit deeper and a little bit defensive because our, our players aren't that good that they can suddenly pick open eleven players behind the ball. Yeah. Um, so where does that leave us then? You know, where, well, what are we wanting to see? Because I look at the I look at the fixtures, Scott. So we got Park on Thursday, and you're quite right. You kind of have to take that in isolation. Even if even if this ends up being an incredible night for Hearts, one of their best results ever, and it would be if they manage to get through. Even if they get hammered, it's it's a different ball game than the domestic stuff. But after that, Motherwell home, Aberdeen at home. Not to say we'll get results. But at home, we're generally good. The Aberdeen game will have a big atmosphere. Motherwell, we do we've done pretty well against them at Tynecastle. Um, but then you've got St Mirren away, Kilmarnock away, Ross County away. The Kilmarnock game, obviously, in the cup. When we come to that run, what 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 we're looking at from Hearts? How how do we change what we just saw on Sunday? Well, I think it goes back to what you were touching on earlier with regards to us potentially trying to adopt a similar style that can't match the intensity that Rangers and Celtic can play at. And I think this is the biggest mistake that we are showing in these fixtures against teams who are perceived to be sort of bottom six sides. We do not have the speed of thought or the technical ability to sort of pull teams from one side to the pitch to the other. So if you look at how Aston Villa done it against Hibs last week, what Villa done, which was really good, and, and I know some people have talked about Hibs defensively, but I think that's all rubbish. I, I just think Aston Villa were too good for them. What Villa done was literally take one or two touches, pull them over to the left side of the pitch, but then play a long diagonal to their, their full-back on the other side. And it was, it was done so quickly and so efficiently that Hibs were getting pulled out of their shape and out of their positions. Now, the problem that we have is is that I think we are trying to do that at times, specifically away from home, but we don't have the players with either the technical nows or the speed of thought to achieve that, especially just now with the, the issues we're having in central midfield. Again, Haran's probably the one that's capable of spraying the ball and playing those sort of long diagonals, but he's not available just now. So what do you do in, you know, in that absence? I think you just go back to basics and again, I don't know whether managers are sniffy about this, whether they want to be seen to be more tactically adept and they're always sort of thinking about, you know, being seen to be winning these types of duels with other managers. But for me, we have got two of the most intelligent and complete centre forwards in the league outside of the old firm. I would be pairing them up together just now and I would be getting the likes of Vargas and Lowry as close to them as possible and go direct. You know, it isn't always going to come off. I know that they're not 
target men in the traditional sense, but what they're good at doing is making those types of runs that will pull centre-halves out of position and open up space for the likes of Vargas and that to run into. And if we play balls that will turn the defensive players' heads, we will get joy out of that, regardless of who we're playing against. And I just think that's how we've got to play just now. You can have your two sitters then in midfield who don't need to worry too much about recycling possession or being too comfortable on the ball. They just have to be there when teams are looking to break away against us when they're in that transition. That's how I would adopt the next few weeks. And again, I know that I'm probably being guilty talking about as if it's that simple. But for me, it, it is to a degree because if we've got the further fourth highest budget in the league and we've arguably got the further fourth best squad in the league, we should be able to adopt more traditional tactics like that and win the majority of our matches, providing the players apply themselves appropriately. Where we are, you know, fallen are you know way short of our standards just now is by trying to ask players to do things that they're clearly not comfortable in doing so we can't in roles we're giving them far too much uh, exposure on the ball we're asking some of our fullbacks to play invertedly which isn't obviously working for them as well and then we're sending on players such as Tagawa and playing them in unfamiliar positions as well which is clearly not working for them so get it back to the basics get Boyce and Shankman up top and get Vargas and Lowry not hugging the touchline, but playing almost, you know, as as number 10s playing off of them, so that there's plenty of options in and around the box, so that if Shanklin and Boyce are maybe not winning clear headers, they're putting the defence under enough pressure where balls are bouncing and, and sort of dropping in areas in which are, are number 10s, or maybe Devlin coming for a deeper position in centre midfield can come and press and sort of win the ball back quickly. That's what we're not showing enough of just now. And if we can fix that part of our final third from a pressing standpoint, we should then be able to see more positive results and hopefully more goals as well. You're listening to Scars Around the Funnel, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Uh, we'll move on, and um, just before we go, we'll very briefly look ahead to the game on Thursday night. Scott and Mark already had a little look ahead to this last week, so I don't want to go too deep into it. Um, but Hearts, after two consecutive defeats, have the small task of heading to a stadium nicknamed the Black Hell. Um, just what you want after a couple of losses. 2-1 down from the first leg against Pauk of Greece and with a lot of work to do against the Greek side. We've only lost four of the last 27 home games and those were to the kind of Greek big hitters, Olympiakos, Panathinaikos and Ike Athens. Um, interesting, I was listening to you guys last week, Scott, and you kind of both touched on maybe is the is the one thing we're going to cling on to here. And I should say, we're just, we're, we're trying to cling on to something. Um, we, we, I think we'll probably both be aware that the likelihood is this is not going to go well for Hearts. But if there's anything to cling on to, um, is it the fact that Pauk may not know how to approach this exactly? Because they were pretty happy, I think, with just coming back from Tynecastle with a draw, just avoiding defeat. They now have a lead. They don't need to chase this game. Um does that give us something to cling on to? Yeah, I, th I think that stick-or-twist mentality and, and that option and sort of dilemma that they have, it could 
it could sort of maybe just muddy the water slightly for their players in terms of their thinking uh, and also the sort of the, the tactical shape and the philosophy that the management want out of their team as well on Thursday. That is one of the biggest sort of positives or hopes that we can take out of it just now because we have a, a few sort of issues that we'll need to contend with in terms of team selection and, and sort of tactical shape as well. I, I, I'm not sure what sort of first 11 they're going to go with. I, I know what team I'd like to see, but I'm very dubious as to whether I'll, I, I'd get to see it on Thursday. Uh, so yeah, that, that sort of sticker twist dilemma is really what we're sort of hoping for. Now naturally, Pauker are, are a reasonably experienced side, so you would think that they've had, you know, uh, incidents or examples or fixtures similar to this before, so maybe this is even a, a sort of hope too far, but that is kind of the main thing that we need to bank on just now, and when we get our chance, make sure that we take it. They did make quite a few changes to the team at the weekend. They won 2-1 uh, in their league game and uh, they rested, well, depending wh how, how they look at it, they made a few switches with that team, so I'd expect it to be a much-changed side for this game. One interesting thing I noted, and it's been noted in some of the press, so it's a very big pitch here. So it's a big, intimidating stadium. Uh, it'll be a very um, rowdy atmosphere, but the pitch is so it's apparently six metres longer than uh, the Tyne Castle pitch and seven metres wider. So there's a lot more space there. So I guess the first thing is you know, that's potentially going to work against Hearts. There'll be a lot more space for Pauk, who do have the superior technical players. They have the you know, double the budget of Hearts. But is that something that Hearts can use to their advantage if they're potentially going to be looking to play on the break? You know, the opposite of what we saw sort of Dens Park. You would think Hearts would maybe sacrifice a lot of the ball in this game and maybe try and get in behind a team that would potentially be pushing up and, and trying to commit more players forward. So this is going to sound a little bit mad, and this is why I always say that you've got to view European fixtures in isolation, <laughs> because what I'm going to suggest here totally goes against what I've just been complaining about That's for okay. the best part of an we hour. Do, we do that all the time, don't worry, Scott. <laughs> don't worry. Now, at a risk of making so many turns that I can't put my socks on right in the morning, what I would be hoping to see the team do on Thursday is actually put together a first 11 that are capable of keeping the ball and keeping possession because I don't think Pauk are going to offer much space in behind them. So what I'd like to see is for us to go with Boyce and Shanklin up top and actually potentially play the likes of Grant and Lowry out wide and play a sort of 4-4-2 so that you've got wide men that are comfortable sort of pitching in into the centre of the park when they maybe try and go for a, a three against two situation but are also comfortable enough in possession and know how to play forward penetrating passes as well. I think Thursday's going to boil down to us hopefully winning maybe some fouls in the final third by maybe going a bit direct to Boyce and Shanklin and then trying to nick something for there rather than hitting them on the break. I'd be very surprised if they go for a sort of cavalier approach to this match, uh, sort of given what I saw of them on Thursday. You know, when they went 2-1 up, they weren't really that fussed about pushing for a third. It was all about game management. And I think you'll see a lot of that on Thursday again. So I think we've got to try and frustrate the crowd, keep the ball as best as we can and get as many ball players on the park. So for that reason, I would probably like to see us switch Kingsley into a left centre half position and get Cochrane into the team. I think that Kai Rolls has shown far too often now over the last few months that 
he doesn't have a cool head. You know, uh, ball p- re- retention is not a, a strong part of his game. So I think for me, it's vital that we get as many ball players in our team as possible and then, you know, hopefully win some set plays up in their half and then try and nick something off the back of it. Uh, do we want to do a... Uh, if if I was going to ask you for a prediction, would you would you be given a a very realistic prediction in terms of if a scoreline and if if there was to be a heart scorer a scorer? I I actually think we might nick a draw on Thursday, like, sort of against okay. the odds. Uh, I think it's because of how we played on Sunday. I think it's kind of it's set up to be one of those near misses and what if sort of European fixtures that we've had down the years. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see Pauk go in front and then us sort of nick a goal in the second half and, and, and make a game of it, but ultimately sort of just come short. Glorious failure. Who's going to nick a goal for us then? Uh, oh, I mean, it's going to be Shanklin, isn't it? Usually <laughs> it always is. is. I'm sick of going for other players because I feel like I'm just doing it to be contrary, but, uh, but aye, it's, it's bound to be so long as Shanklin if we do get a goal. To be fair, if I'd be on... Uh, last Thursday evening, I would have been saying how close I was to getting a really good prediction if Hearts had managed to pull it back. Because I said, <clears throat> I said Pauk would go ahead. No, sorry, I said, I said Hearts would go ahead. Pauk would turn it around and go two one ahead, um, and then Hearts would get an equaliser and pull to two two. And Shanklin would be the one to get one of the Hearts goals. So I was very close. You know, if Hearts had got a, that, would have been an incredible prediction. Um, but it wasn't. It wasn't right. So. Um, I'm going, to, I'm going to play reverse psychology here because I usually just try and think of something. 2-0 to Pauk. Hearts go out. One. I, I get so many wrong that surely this will be the time where the reverse psychology works somehow and and, <laughs> and Hearts get something. We're, we're all, we live in hope. Um, hopefully when we're back and we review, review that, there's been an incredible result and it would arguably, if Hearts get through this, would it be their best ever European result? I think it most likely would be. And we'll talk about it next time if it happens. And if it doesn't, well, we'll talk about that as well. Until then, thanks for tuning in. You can get in touch on Twitter at Around the Funnel or you can email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk. Thanks for Scott uh, for joining us once again. And thanks to all you listeners for tuning in. Until next time, goodbye. Try putting on a brave face Why everything is giving way Like an undercut with a bank Knowing that you might go swimming But it doesn't matter anyway Try to look in my reflection You see it's getting bigger fast By the time it looks life-size I'll be soaking wet Wondering how I ended up on my ass And I've been here before back anymore I've been here before and I don't need to go back anymore I thought I'm working on the wrong side but maybe it's the wrong bed you can get tangled up and do your best to try landing on your feet and still wind up landing on your head